Decaying Review and Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at QNReview, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at tunereview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M. Or by calling 0141 772 3976. That's 0141 772 3976. Evening Times, October 12. Details of this year's Santa Dash in Glasgow revealed. Report by Morgan Carmichael. The date and details for this year's Glasgow Santa Dash have finally been revealed today. The iconic event which helps friends, families and colleagues raise money for charity while having fun, will return on Sunday, December 10 at 10am. Those wishing to enter are being invited to complete registration, which closes on December 8 at 4pm. Last year, almost 4,000 runners dressed as Santa, elves and even a dinosaur to complete the new 5k route some with even prams and dogs in tow. Participants raise money for a range of charities and organisations, and volunteers help to make the event a huge success. This year's event, which will be started by Glasgow's Lord Provost Jacqueline McLaren, will be rooted around Glasgow Green and Gorbals, the same as last year. Any profits from the Glasgow City Council event will be split between the Lord Provost Charity Fund, which helps children and vulnerable citizens across the city, and Beetson Cancer Charity. Glasgow's Lord Provost, Councillor Jacqueline McLaren, said, Glasgow's Santa Dash is a wonderful, uplifting family event, which gets children and adults into the festive spirit. It is a great morning with plenty of fun and laughter, and the sea of Santas running the route is a truly impressive sight. As well as being a lovely Christmas event, the Santa Dash helps people raise funds for a whole range of charities which help those in need in Glasgow and further afield. Maisie McCormick, Community Fundraising Manager at Beetson Cancer Charity said, We are so excited for the Santa Dash to take place again this year. Last year's event was a great success and we love seeing everyone in their festive t-shirts and outfits at Glasgow Green. Santa Dash participants have helped raise over £400,000 for our charity since 2016, which is absolutely incredible. Everyone who signs up to take part this year will be continuing to support cancer patients and their families across Scotland. Report by Morgan Carmichael. 
Evening Times, October 12. Lifestyle. New bridge over the river, sailing up the Clyde on a barge. Report by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow's newest bridge will be floating up the River Clyde on a boat tomorrow. The Govan Partick Bridge, which is expected to be opened by spring next year, will re-establish a crossing between the two historic areas from Water Row to Point House Quay near the Riverside Museum. Work on the supports has been ongoing and the main span of the bridge is due to arrive after a five-day sea trip from the Netherlands. The bridge span weighing 45 tonnes and 15.7 metres long was built in Belgium before being transported along canals to the Netherlands where the piling and cabling were installed before it was loaded onto the barge to sail through the English Channel and up the Irish Sea and North Channel yesterday before the final stretch up the Clyde Estuary and up the river into the city. It will arrive at York Hill Quay tomorrow, close to where it will be put in place across the river, when it will be a swing bridge to allow boats to pass further upstream. The six metre span was constructed in two parts, the moving span and the fixed span. When complete, it will provide a pedestrian and cycle bridge over the river. The project, costing £29.5 million, is part of the Glasgow City Region City Deal, funded by the UK and Scottish governments. Report by Stuart Patterson. Evening Times, September 12. Opinion. Mike Daly says, Accelerated refugee evictions do not help anyone. Evictions against refugees and asylum seekers are being ramped up in Glasgow. In 2019, the Mears Group PLC was awarded three contracts to provide accommodation for asylum seekers in Scotland, Northern Ireland and the northeast of England. Starting from October 2019 and running for 10 years, the Home Office contracts are worth £1 billion to Mears. A noticeable increase in the volume of Mears Housing Management Limited eviction cases is now visible at the Heritable Court, the Eviction Court, at Glasgow Sheriff Court each week. The cause of the hike appears to be a policy decision by Mears and the Home Office to accelerate the removal of support for former asylum seekers. Eviction can occur in two scenarios. First, an individual is successful in his or her asylum claim and secures UK refugee status. This means they are now entitled to homeless accommodation in the same way as any other UK citizen and asylum support is terminated. Second, a person's asylum claim is refused by the Home Office 
and becomes appeals rights exhausted, in which case Home Office and Mayor's support comes to an end. Expedited evictions during a cost-of-living crisis are no doubt part and parcel of the Home Office's unethical, hostile environment against asylum seekers, although it's odd that such treatment is meted out to refugees who have leave to remain in the UK. Glasgow South West MP Chris Stevens is deeply concerned with Mir's accelerated removal process and believes it is unnecessary and inhumane. He said, I have constituents who have laid down roots in our local communities with strong support networks. After a successful refugee status decision, they look forward to remaining in Govan, for example, but mayors want to evict them immediately. Uprooting people causes unnecessary distress to families with children at local schools. Lest we forget that until a High Court case brought on behalf of a client by Greater Manchester Law Centre last December, asylum seekers had to live on £40.85 per week. They are not allowed to work and £40.85 was for basic living needs. The Home Secretary had ignored unequivocal advice from her civil servants when it came to setting the annual minimum living allowance and had disregarded the dramatic rise in the cost of living. The court held that the Home Secretary had acted unlawfully in reviewing the minimum level of Section 4 and 95 payments and required a level of no less than £45 per week. All of these issues have been on the local authorities' radar for some months now. Bizarrely, the response to increased homeless demand in Glasgow was a decision by the Glasgow City Health and Social Care Partnership, GCHSCP, in June to cut £5 million from this year's homeless budget. Here's what the GCHSCP said at paragraph 2.6 of its report on June 28. Since the last report, the HSCP has seen an increase in the level of demand for B&B accommodation. The main drivers of this appears to be an increase in requests for assistance from people affected by homelessness. In addition, the decision of Mears and the Home Office to accelerate the numbers of people being moved out of accommodation following successful asylum claims has resulted in additional pressure of around 600 households. The difficulty with the approach of Mears and the Home Office in Glasgow is the lack of any standard defence to such eviction actions. Since the inner house decision in Ali versus Circle Limited and others, it is clear that Mears is regarded in Scots law as a private housing provider. 
Mere's occupancy agreements are not tenancies, and contractually it has a mandatory right to recover possession of its properties. Standing the 2016 UK Supreme Court case of Macdonald v Macdonald and the 2018 decision in FJM v United Kingdom, you cannot argue an Article 8 European Convention on Human Rights Defence in a private housing case. Perhaps more troubling is the fact Mears is seeking immediate enforcement of eviction orders. It is asking the court to shorten notice periods or dispense with time periods altogether. This can remove between four to six weeks from the process and result in incredibly fast evictions. There is nothing to prevent refugees and unsuccessful asylum seekers defending and opposing expedited evictions using the 1998 Human Rights Act. That's because the court as a public body exercising statutory powers must act in a way that's compatible with ECHR rights. One is not challenging the granting of an eviction order, rather the challenge is against the accelerated process. It is regrettable that we find ourselves in this invidious position, but I am sure Glasgow community law centres and others will rise to the challenge to help prevent individuals and families being exposed to destitution and homelessness, says Mike Daly. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, Cocaine worth around £1.8 million seized from Glasgow cars by Marissa McWhorter. A major drug haul with a street value of around £1.8 million was seized in the East End on Thursday. Two cars were intercepted on Dungarrett Street in the city's Hag Hill by specialist officers from Glasgow's organised crime unit. Around 42 kilos of what is believed to be cocaine were discovered by the force. The colossal Class A drug haul was thought to be worth a £1.8 million fortune on the street. Two men, aged 34 and 56, have been arrested and charged in connection with the alleged seizure. Both are due to appear in Glasgow Sheriff Court on Friday, October 13, 2023. Detective Superintendent David Ferry said, This operation underlines our commitment to the Series Organised Crime Task Force and the country's Series Organised Crime Strategy. People's lives are ruined by drugs and we are determined to disrupt criminal activity which has such a negative impact on the lives of our communities. We will continue to work with our partners to ensure Scotland is a hostile environment for those who seek to bring misery to our communities through their involvement in drugs. And that article was by Marissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, Crown case against 11 people accused of child sex abuse closed by Conor Gordon. The Crown case against 11 people accused of sexual abuse towards children has closed. Ian Owens, 45, Elaine Lannery, 39, Leslie Williams, 41, Paul Brannan, 41, 
Marianne Gallagher, 38. Scott Forbes, 50. Barry Watson, 47. Mark Carr, 50. Richard Gacken, 45. Leona Lane, 51. And John Clark, 47. Deny the accusations they face. The initial 32 charges were reduced by 8 following the final Crown Witness who gave evidence on Friday at the High Court in Glasgow. One of the deleted charges included allegations of all 11 behaving in a threatening or abusive manner towards two children. The charge claimed that the adults made the children participate in classes involving witchcraft and seances. The allegations also stated that they used a Ouija board in order to communicate with spirits and demons. Five people still face a charge of attempting to murder a girl. All still face charges of sexual abuse. The 11 are also still accused of rape. The trial continues a week on Monday before Judge Lord Beckett. And the article was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, Gang jailed over drug and firearm offences at Glasgow High Court. Article by a Glasgow Times reporter. Three men have been sentenced in relation to drugs offences in Aberdeen and Glasgow. Scott Fitzgerald, 34. Keith White, 33. And Lewis McGrath, 30, pleaded guilty to the offences on Tuesday, August 29th at the High Court in Glasgow. Fitzgerald also pled guilty to firearms offences. Today, Friday, October 13th, at the High Court in Glasgow, Fitzgerald was sentenced to six years and six months, White to six years and McGrath to four years and nine months of jail time. In spring 2022, officers recovered cocaine with a street value of more than £300,000 and heroin worth around £21,000 from properties in Aberdeen and Glasgow. A sawn-off shotgun was also recovered from the Glasgow property. Detective Inspector Robin Sim of the Specialist Crime Division said, this sentencing underlines our commitment to the Serious Organised Crime Task Force and the country's Serious Organised Crime Strategy. We are working hard to ensure Scotland is a hostile environment for those who want to engage in criminal activity. Information from the public is crucial in helping to combat those involved in drug activity in our communities. It is only as a community working together that we can tackle drug dealing activity. Anyone with any information regarding drug dealing or county lines activities in their area is asked to contact Police Scotland on 101 or by calling Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 one. In the article is by a Glasgow Times reporter. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, Exclusive. Murderer who killed in front of child allowed out of jail alone. Exclusive by Christine Gray. A Greenock murderer who knifed a man to death in front of an 11-year-old girl has been allowed to stroll out of prison on a company for a work placement. Mark McGartland, jailed in 2007 for fatally stabbing James O'Donnell in Renfrew, was filmed leaving Berlin in Glasgow on his own. A video posted on social media channel TikTok shows McGartland 39, walking briskly from the prison with a small backpack strapped to his shoulders. Asked by a man filming him if he's just been released, he explains he's just let out to go to work and is on his way to Glasgow's Duke Street. Baldy McGartland, 
wearing turquoise trainers, dark blue night jogging bottoms and a patterned North Wales pupper jacket, goes on to state that he was jailed for murder and is up for parole in January after serving more than 16 years in prison. After being shown the clip by her sister title, The Greenock Telegraph, former Scottish Conservative Shadow Justice Secretary and Greenock born MSP Jamie Green called for more consideration of victims and their families with regard to when prisoners are allowed to, out to walk the streets alone. Former barman McGartland, who had previous convictions for carrying a knife and driving offences, was 23 when he was unanimously found guilty of murdering 21-year-old Mr O'Donnell. He was ordered to serve a minimum of 14 years in prison for plunging a knife into the young man four times in a brutal attack just yards away from a little girl. Mr O'Donnell bled to death after one of the blows from McGartland's blade cut through a major artery. In evidence, the traumatised girl who witnessed the killing told the High Court in Glasgow that there was a late night fracas on October 2006 involving a number of people over McGartland and his friends causing a disturbance as he returned from a night spot. The witness told the High Court trial, Mark said something to James and then stabbed him with a knife twice in the stomach once in the bottom and once in the back of the leg. Sentencing McGartland, Judge Lord McLaren said, You used a weapon, resulting in death. The victim had shown no aggression towards you. Mr O'Donnell's mother, Teresa, who was 62 at the time, said afterwards, McGartland has given her family a life sentence. I've lost my only son. He was a lovely boy, so full of fun and hard working. My son hated violence and had never been in trouble of any sort during his entire life. McGartland committed the murder at Brown Street, where Mr O'Donnell's girlfriend lived. Defence counsel Ian Duggan QC said, Mr McGartland has shown genuine remorse. It is a tragedy of huge proportions. His actions can only be explained by the huge amount of alcohol he consumed that night. MSP Mr Green said that it was important to notify victims and their family members when prisoners were being released for any length of time. He said, My thoughts are with the family and loved ones of James O'Donnell. No doubt this situation has opened up old wounds for them. I don't oppose allowing prisoners to undertake monitor work experience. It is vital that prisoners can enter work upon their release to avoid reoffending. However, the welfare and safety of victims and their families should be the most important consideration when releasing a prisoner for any length of time. My own proposed victims law focuses on overhauling the victim notification scheme because the current system does not recognise the importance of informing victims of their offender's change in circumstances. When shown the footage, a Scottish Prison Service spokesperson said, We cannot comment on individuals. We are aware of this video and would ask the public to respect the privacy of our staff and those in or leaving our care. And the article was an exclusive by Christine Gray. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October. From the news section, New £34.9 million school near Glasgow opens for business. Report by Morgan Carmichael. A brand new state-of-the-art school has officially opened for business. Pupils, teachers, parents, counsellors and Eastern Bartonshire Provost Gillian Rennick gathered for the official opening of Woodland View School. Based in Waterside, Kirkintilloch, the £34.9 million state-of-the-art building, which will teach children and young people aged 2 to 18 years, 
has been delivered by contractors McLaughlin and Harvey. The new facility, which replaces Campsie View in Merkland schools, is designed to be both practical and stimulating for pupils, with a broad range of additional support needs. Provost Rennick, with the help of pupils Barzi and Lisa, unveiled the plaque to officially open the fabulous building. Provost Rennick said, It is hard to believe Woodland View only opened its doors to pupils in August. Already there is a wonderful feeling of warmth and community within this new school. In just a couple of short months, the pupils, teachers and staff have been getting familiar with their new surroundings and enjoying all it has to offer whilst building a new school community. New friendships have been forged and there is a tangible sense of identity and pride in Woodland View already. The official opening ceremony was an opportunity for the children and young people to welcome invited guests into their fantastic new building which is both practical and stimulating for pupils. It features lots of open spaces and a magnificent sensory trail leading from the ground to the first floor. Guests were also treated to excellent hospitality and outstanding musical performances from the school vocal group and youth group throughout the evening. It was an honour to officially open Woodland View School and I wish pupils, teachers and staff every success in their new accommodation. Head teacher Kay Hunter added, It's only eight weeks since we welcomed over 200 children and young people and 120 members of staff to this new school and, since that first day, we have all worked together to find our way around this beautiful building discovering new and innovative ways to use our spaces to best suit learning and teaching. Our learners have settled and are building new and extended friendships and our staff continue to develop all the strengths, knowledge and skills they have always displayed. As we begin our journey as a new school community, it was wonderful to welcome the provost, local elected members, colleagues and partners to share in our official opening ceremony. We are so excited to be on this journey and our community of staff, learners, families and friends are very much looking forward to writing the pages of the Woodland View story together. And that article was by Morgan Carmichael. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, OAP among those arrested in connection with drug offences in Airdrie, report by Morgan Carmichael, an OEP is among three arrested in connection with drug offences. The 77-year-old man, a 19-year-old man and a 47-year-old woman were all arrested in connection with the offences following a police operation in Airdrie. During the operation, officers, who acted under warrant, netted cannabis with an estimated street value of approximately £300,000 from a property on Stirling Road, Airdrie. The hall included herbal cannabis, cannabis extract, cannabis resin, cannabis edibles and cannabis plants. £12,000 in cash was also seized. The incident occurred at 9.30am on Wednesday, October 11th. Those arrested in connection were due to appear at Airdrie Sheriff Court this week. And that article was by Morgan Carmichael. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 13th of October, from the news section, Popular Community Hub Shuts Down Following Detection of Rack Report by Morgan Carmichael A popular community hub has shut down following the recent discovery of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, Rack, in the facility. Bearsden Community Hub in the Halls 
We're advised that RAC is present in the rear section of the facility after structural engineers undertook recent survey work. The building allegedly closed on Thursday, October the 5th, and today, Eastern Departmentshire Council have announced that the more RAC has been detected on various roofs of the buildings and needs to be removed. As a result, the hub and car park will remain closed until works are completed. Commenting on the findings, Council Leader Gordon Lowe said, With the discovery of RAC in Bearsden Hub, it is essential that we quickly establish the extent of the situation and the remedial actions required. Whilst our customers who use the customer service, library and community hall facilities will be disappointed, we thank everyone in advance for their understanding as we determine the extent of the RAC and the remedial action we then need to undertake. Signage has been posted on the doors to advise customers of the closure of the facility. In-person customer service delivery will remain available from the three other community hubs in Bishop Briggs, Kirkintilloch and Lennox Town. Library facilities are available in, in the other libraries through Eastern Bartonshire, the closest being Westerton and Mulgai. For more information, go to easternbarton.gov.uk slash news. In that article, it's by Morgan Carmichael. Evening Times, October 13, Lifestyle. Friday the 13th, where does the superstition come from? Report by Andrew Smart. Friday the 13th is considered by some to be the most unlucky day of the year, with misfortune said to befall everyone on this date. The iconic date has inspired horror films, and still frightens many across the country to this very day. However, most are not aware of where this superstition comes from, and even less know why it is supposedly unlucky. With today being Friday the 13th, here is everything you need to know before taking your chances. The unlucky date happens at least once a year, but can occur up to three times in the same year. In 2015, it took place in February, March and November, and will happen again in 2026. Friday the 13th is considered an unlucky day in many Western superstitions and cultures, and occurs when the 13th day of a month in the Gregorian calendar falls on a Friday. While the idea that 13 is unlucky has roots in many mythologies, such as Norse. Many associate the number 13 with bad luck due to biblical reasons, according to the BBC. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, is thought to have been the 13th guest to sit down at the Last Supper. This superstition is so deeply rooted that many still consider it unlucky to have 13 people sit at the same dinner table. Going back further to Norse traditions, the number 13 is said to be unlucky because a dinner party being thrown by the gods was ruined by the 13th guest, Loki, who plunged it into darkness. The reason why Friday is considered unlucky in the UK largely comes from Geoffrey Chaucer's famous Canterbury Tales, which was written in the 14th century. In it he says, and on a Friday, 
fell all this mischance. Friday was also known as Hangman's Day, as it was traditionally the day when people condemned for death were hanged. Report by Andrew Smart Evening Times, October 13 Lifestyle Painting stolen from Glasgow Museum Found after 30 years Report by Rebecca Newlands A painting which was stolen from a Glasgow museum almost 30 years ago has turned up at an auction in England. Children wading was stolen from Hags Castle Children's Museum in February 1989 and has been missing ever since. The scene depicts two children paddling along a water's edge with a toy boat floating near them and it was painted in Carnoustie, Angus by Robert Gemmell Hutchison in 1918. After decades of mystery surrounding the painting, it was submitted for sale at tenants auctioneers in North Yorkshire by a consigner who acquired it from their late father's estate. By checking the painting's past with the Art Loss Registered ALR service, staff managed to identify that the painting matched the one stolen and it was immediately withdrawn from sale. The ALR has a database which keeps a historical record of stolen works of art and if attempts are made to try and sell or auction them, the police are made aware. Almost 5,000 museum losses are currently registered on the database and teams are constantly searching the international art market for stolen items to turn up. Once the consigner learned of the discovery, they were happy to see the artwork return to its home. Lucy O'Meara, who is a recovery specialist, said, We are thrilled to have assisted the parties involved in this case on a pro bono basis, and we are very pleased that the sweet picture will be returned to public view. The painting has been moved to Glasgow Life's Glasgow Museum's Resource Centre at 200 Woodhead Road and members of the public will be able to view it on tours. Duncan Dornan, head of Glasgow Life Museums, said The process of recording, cataloguing and caring for Glasgow's museum's collection has improved significantly since it was founded in the 1860s. For 30 years, the cataloguing of the collection has been centralised using the museum's collection management system and storage of the collection has also been improved. Where historic thefts are conclusively identified, we have robust processes in place, including notifying the police and adding the items to the art loss register, which makes it difficult to secure sales at legitimate auctions. This is exactly the process which has led to the return of Children Wading by Robert Gemmell Hutchison to Glasgow. We are enormously grateful for the work of the Art Loss Register and the unsuspecting vendors for the safe return of a wonderful painting. Report by Rebecca Newlands
Glasgow Times, on Monday, the 16th of October. Lifestyle. Two heavyweight presenters set to replace Holly Willoughby on this morning. An article written by Andrew Smart. This morning bosses are reportedly set to replace Holly Willoughby with two heavyweight presenters after she announced her resignation earlier this month. The star, who has fronted the show since 2009, announced her intention to step down in a statement to fans. She said she was making a difficult goodbye, but thanked her loyal and supportive viewers. However, ITV bosses are reportedly looking to replace Holly Willoughby on this morning with two heavyweight presenters. Ben Shepherd and Kate Garraway from Good Morning Britain are apparently front of the pack to take on the flagship show, according to a show insider. The source told The Mail Online, Ben and Kate are adored by the public when they host together. Fans love them. While the bosses love Alison Hammond and Josie Gibson, they know they need someone more heavyweight. Kate is a journalist, yet is also funny and warm. Emma and Matt Willis, comedian Joel Domit and his wife Hannah Cooper, as well as Peter Crouch and Abby Clancy, are also in the running to take over presenting duties. Beyond the presenters, it's reported that ITV is looking for a complete revamp of the show. Another source said... Holly's decision to leave has sent shockwaves through the corridors of power at ITV, but the feeling now is that change must be made, and this is the impetus needed. This morning boss Martin Frizzell will continue to lead the charge and is working tirelessly to give viewers what they want, a warm, buzzy, feel-good magazine show marshalled by two fresh new anchors. An article written by Andrew Smart. Glasgow Times News on Monday, the 16th of October. Main span of Clyde Bridge arrives after weather disruption. An article written by Esther Tarnay. The main span of a new Glasgow Bridge arrived on Saturday at York Hill Quay. The part of the Govan Partick Bridge arrived near the site where it will be installed after sailing up the River Clyde by barge from its overnight berth at Ocean Terminal in Greenock. As the Glasgow Times reported on Friday, the structure's delivery was delayed due to safety concerns relating to high winds, but it was completed on Saturday at around midday. This project includes the construction of a new pedestrian and cycle bridge over the River Clyde between Water Row in Govan and Point House Quay in Partick, re-establishing the historic connection between the areas. Costing £29.5 million, it is a Glasgow City Region City Deal project funded by the Scottish and the UK governments. The Glasgow City Region City Deal will see both governments provide £500 million of funding for infrastructure projects. The bridge span left Vestorp in the Netherlands on October 7th and was constructed in Belgium. It's six metres wide and was fabricated in two parts, the moving span, which weighs 650 tonnes and is 99 metres long, and the fixed span, which weighs 45 tonnes and is 15.7 metres long. An article written by Esther Tarnay. Glasgow Times, on Monday the 16th of October. Opinion. Who will prevent Glasgow's homelessness crisis? A column written by Mike Daly. Many would contend that Glasgow has had a housing and homeless crisis for some time now. 
Whatever your opinion, the strain on our homelessness services is being stretched beyond breaking point by the UK Home Office's streamlined asylum process. Since June this year, a new process has applied to households from countries more likely to receive a positive refugee status decision Afghanistan, Eritrea, Libya, Syria, and Yemen. It's designed to reduce the backlog of historic asylum decisions in a very short time. Glasgow City Council's concern is this will result in 2,500 Home Office decisions being made in relation to asylum seekers in Glasgow over the next six months. The Council estimates 1,800 decisions could be positive, which might mean around 1,400 new homeless applications in the city over the next few months. Glasgow has been a UK asylum dispersal area since April 2000 and receives Home Office funding of around £3,500 per person involved in the scheme. The 1999 Asylum and Immigration Act created the first nationwide system for the resettlement of asylum seekers. Dispersal is on a no-choice basis and many thousands of asylum seekers have resettled as refugees in Glasgow. In September, a House of Commons report showed that Glasgow was the local authority with the most dispersed asylum seekers in the UK. 4,694 persons, or 74 per 10,000 residents, as of June 2023. This was followed by Birmingham City Council with 2,986 persons, or 26 per 10,000 residents. Belfast had the second highest number of asylum seekers relative to its population, 78 per 10,000 people. Last Thursday, Glasgow City Council's Emergency Committee met and set out a worst-case scenario of additional financial pressure of £53.4 million for homelessness service in 2024-2025. It predicted an extra 1,026 homeless households to accommodate – in addition to its current underlying budget pressure of £16.7 million. Why so expensive? The Council's report gives the answer. A massive reliance on bed and breakfast private accommodation in the city at £120 per night net of housing benefit. A quick calculation tells you that putting around a 1,000 households into bed and breakfast for six months will cost around £22 million. Lest we forget it was only back in June that the Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership cut our budget for emergency accommodation by £5 million and removed 78 beds from the Charles Rennie Mackintosh Homeless Hostel. Indeed, back in May 2019, Glasgow's partnership cuts of £2.6 million removed 100 temporary homeless beds from the city. There can be little doubt that there's a strong case to be made that the UK government should provide additional funding to Glasgow to support the consequences of its expedited decision-making process. Likewise, the Scottish government should step in too, given Glasgow's strategic role with respect to UK refugees. Truth be told, this has been 20 years in the making. Ever since Glasgow's council housing was transferred in 2003 – we failed to accept the Council should be building and acquiring social and emergency housing to meet its statutory duties. We've had no strategic housing planning other than an expensive reliance on bed and breakfasts and hotels, which is the equivalent of a sticky plaster on a gaping wound. 
Hundreds of people will be sleeping rough in Glasgow this winter unless we fix this problem. It's already beginning to happen now. A column written by Mike Daly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 16th of October. People to have their say on the redevelopment of Glasgow's George Square. An article written by Sarah Hilly. People will have the chance to have their say on Glasgow's new city centre six-year draft strategy this month. Priority actions include the redevelopment of George Square, with work due to start in spring of 2025, and the building of a river park at the Broomielaw. A study of the city's nightlife is also to be undertaken to identify challenges and solutions facing businesses. There's also to be a dedicated team to target owners of vacant and problem sites to try and bring them back into use. The Council's City Administration Committee approved the consultation plan for the 2024-2030 to strategy, which will see feedback sought from the public from October 20th to December 3rd. Councillors also noted a request for additional funding of £5 million. The strategy has put forward ideas for Socky Hall Street and Garnet Hill, Cowcaddens, Town Head, the Learning Quarter, the Merchant City, St Enoch, Broomielaw, Blytheswood and the Central District. Speaking at the committee, Councillor Angus Miller, SNP, in charge of city centre recovery, said 18 priority actions include work to create a more people-friendly city centre. He said there will also be a focus on making the city centre greener as well as developing a cultural strategy for Socky Hall Street. Councillor Saqib Ahmed, Labour, asked how the council would roll out the infrastructure needed to double the city centre population and if there would be new schools. Councillor Miller said the council is looking at building a new primary school in the city centre. He said a social infrastructure strategy would look at how the city centre can handle the growing population, which will also look at health needs. The city strategy would also work towards making sure the city would be home to more digital, high-tech research and engineering businesses and start-ups. Councillor Miller said in a statement following the meeting, People across the city and beyond have a stake in the future of Glasgow City Centre. It's the heart of Scotland's only metropolitan region and vital to the social and economic well-being of this city. I look forward to the coming public consultation. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 16th of October. Sir Michael Caine confirms his retirement from acting. This is an article which has been written by Cormac Pearson. Veteran British actor Sir Michael Caine has confirmed that he has retired from acting after the release of his latest film. Sir Michael, who is 90, told the BBC, I keep saying I'm going to retire. Well, I am now. I figured I've had a picture where I've played the lead and had incredible reviews. What am I going to do that will beat this? The Oscar, Golden Globe and BAFTA winning actor has an extensive filmography, including classic films ranging from Zulu and The Italian Job to more recently in Interstellar and The Dark Knight franchise, alongside Christian Bale. He's appeared in more than 160 films over a career that has spanned seven decades. 
In his final film, The Great Escaper, which was released on October the 6th, he plays real-life World War II veteran Bernie Jordan, who escaped from a care home to attend a D-Day celebration in France. The only parts I'm liable to get now are 90-year-old men, or maybe 85, he told BBC Radio 4's Today programme. They're not going to be the lead. You don't have leading men at 90. You're going to have young, handsome boys and girls. So I thought I might as well leave with all this. Sir Michael said he had turned the film down three times before accepting the role as he considered himself retired. He stars alongside Glenda Jackson, who died in June after the completion of the film. His announcement comes a month before Sir Michael's novel Deadly Game is scheduled for release. The novel follows the adventures of DCI Harry Taylor, a detective with no respect for red tape or political reputations. Sir Michael said in June, It's been my ambition for years to write a thriller. It's the genre I most love to read, and I've really got a buzz out of working on Deadly Game and teaming up with Hodder once again to publish it. I hope readers enjoy getting to know Harry Taylor as much as I did. An article written by Cormac Pearson. Glasgow Times News. On Monday, the 16th of October. Strathclyde Partnership for Transport is committed to longer opening hours for the subway. An article written by Stuart Patterson. SPT is committed to longer opening hours for the subway once new trains and signalling are in place, its chief executive has said. The matter was raised with a panel of transport experts and officials at a fringe event at the SNP annual conference in Aberdeen, organised by the Strathclyde Partnership for Transport. Sandra White, former Glasgow SNP MSP, had asked about extending the subway hours at night and on Sundays when it closes at 6pm. She asked, why can't it operate at times when people want to use it? We have a system, why can't we use it to its full ability? Chief Executive Valerie Davidson said, SPT is committed to longer hours for the subway. We are testing trains at night at the moment. She said new trains and signalling opens up the pathway to longer hours. Ms Davidson also said an Oyster-style card for use on all bus, train and subway journeys in Glasgow is possible, but there are too many commercial operators. There have been repeated calls for a ticket paid for up front, which can be used on all forms of public transport, capping daily or weekly journeys, similar to the Oyster card in London. Ms Davidson said it is possible. The technology already exists and is being used in other places like Edinburgh. She said, technology is not the issue. The issue is to do with splitting up the pot of fares. Ms Davidson said there would be 40 to 45 bus operators across the Strathclyde region involved and each would require to be compensated for their share of trips. She added, and that is difficult. An article written by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 16th of October. Strike action confirmed in the coming weeks for Glasgow schools. An article written by Lauren Brownlee. A rolling programme of strike action will take place in schools across the country in the coming weeks, Unison has announced. 
Members of the union voted overwhelmingly to reject Cosler's pay offer, with nine in ten workers voting against the offer in a consultative ballot. Dates of the strike action will be announced in the coming days. A total of 24 local authority areas will be affected, including Glasgow, Western Bartonshire, Eastern Bartonshire, East Renfrewshire, Renfrewshire and South Lanarkshire. Lillian Mesa, Unison's Scottish Secretary, said No one takes industrial action lightly. It's a very difficult decision for anyone, but as much as this is about pay, it's also about standing up for local services. The school staff taking part in strike action support children in school every day of the year, and many are parents with school-aged children too. Workers are taking action because they want children to be educated in well-resourced, well-staffed schools. They want to start trying to reverse years of cuts and underinvestment in the workforce and in services. No one wants to cause disruption for pupils and parents, but school staff have been left with no other option. The blame must be laid squarely at the door of Cosler and Scottish ministers. They have it within their gift to end the strike, but they're showing no sign of wanting to do so. That's a terrible shame for everyone affected. Mark Ferguson, chair of Unison Scotland's Local Government Committee, added Unison's local government members have voted overwhelmingly to reject this offer, which shows their resolve to fight for the fair pay they deserve. I'm a parent myself, so I understand the disruption that these strikes cause. But if wages don't rise, school staff will leave for other jobs beyond education that pay significantly more per hour. That would be a disaster and would help no one. The current offer amounts to a real-terms pay cut and adds further stress to a dedicated workforce who are already suffering from the cost-of-living crisis. Cosler and the Scottish Government need to give school staff a decent pay rise, fund any increase properly and commit to implementing a pay rate of £15 per hour for all local government workers. An article written by Lauren Brownlee. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 16th of October. Violent prisoner convicted of attacking guards at Lomos. An article written by Connor Gordon. A violent transgender prisoner considered one of Scotland's most dangerous inmates has been convicted of assaulting four guards. Tiffany Scott, who's 32, attacked Stephen Melloy, Gary Kane, Christopher MacDonald and Sergio Bonacorsi. Miss Scott, previously known as Andrew Burns and serving a life sentence, attempted to bite Mr Melloy and punched Mr Kane at Glasgow Royal Infirmary. The inmate punched Mr Buonacorsi as he transported her through His Majesty's Prison Lomos, Eastern Bartonshire. Miss Scott also kicked and choked Mr MacDonald at the same jail where she is still being held. Miss Scott went on trial at Glasgow Sheriff Court this week after a series of delays. She was initially flanked by four security guards and three police officers during the first day of proceedings. The trial was moved to a larger courtroom to accommodate extra measures put in place for Miss Scott. This included members of the public and legal officials being positioned a significant distance away from the dock. An order was made by Sheriff Stuart Reid on the second day of the trial for Miss Scott not to be in attendance following her conduct in the dock. The sheriff eventually convicted Miss Scott of four assaults, behaving in a threatening or abusive manner and a vandalism charge. 
The court heard that Miss Scott was in hospital in May 2021 after swallowing a pen when she was restrained by Mr Melloy and Mr Kane. Mr Melloy said, She was trying to bite my fingers and said, I'm going to bite your F with three asterisks in fingers off. Prosecutor Leo McGinn asked what then happened and he replied, She was unsuccessful. Mr Kane, meantime, stated that he was punched in the head by Miss Scott when she said, I really want to hurt you. The court also heard from Lomos manager Mr Buonacorsi, who took Miss Scott from her cell for breakfast with other guards in December 2021. He said, I told her good morning and she told me to shut up. I was taken aback as this was not her usual way of addressing me. She was a couple of feet in front of me when she punched me. She threw a punch with her left hand and it connected with the right side of my head. Prison officer Sandra Romanes, who's 45, told the court she witnessed Miss Scott attack colleague Mr MacDonald while being restrained in her cell in September 2022. Miss Romanes said she kicked him to the knee and rib area. I observed her to have hold of his collar on the front of his shirt, which was pulled against the front of his neck. He was going red and was struggling at the time. The court heard that Miss Scott also ripped the seat of a cell van when she was being transported to court in January 2020. Sheriff Reed stated when convicting Miss Scott, the Crown witnesses for the most part were credible and reliable. Miss Scott's previous convictions include stalking a 13-year-old girl by sending letters from jail while living as a man in 2011. Miss Scott was put on an order for lifelong restriction, which is reserved for the country's most violent and serious offenders. Other convictions include earlier assaults on prison staff, which resulted in Falkirk Sheriff Court being locked down in 2017 due to security fears. In this latest case, Sheriff Reed claimed that he was surprised that Miss Scott was subject to an order for lifelong restriction when handed her previous convictions. He asked court-appointed lawyer David McCaig if Miss Scott was eligible for parole, and he replied no. The sheriff replied, that's interesting. Sheriff Reed sentenced Miss Scott to two years for her latest offences. Earlier this year, Miss Scott was initially being cleared to move to a women's prison. This was later blocked by the Scottish government in the wake of a transgender prisoner row involving double rapist Isla Bryson. An article written by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the news section, August Rodin sculpture among works missing from Glasgow museums. Report by Sarah Hilly. A sculpture by the world-renowned artist August Rodin, worth an estimated £3 million, is among some 1,700 works missing from Glasgow museums. Officials from Glasgow Life, which is in charge of the collection, cannot find Rodin's Le Bourgeois de Calais, as well as a painting of Billy Connolly's banjo by artist John Byrne. Rodin is well known for his The Thinker sculpture. The unlocated Rodin creation, which is estimated to be worth about £3 million, is a plaster version of Le Bourgeois de Calais, which can be seen in bronze outside London's Houses of Parliament. The work is missing alongside about 1,750 other items, according to the Sunday Times following a Freedom of Information request. 
The situation has been slammed as deeply concerning by Conservative MSP Alexander Stewart. A Glasgow Life spokesperson said the Rodan artwork was damaged while on display in Kelvin Grove Park in 1949 and its location is currently unknown. The spokesperson said the plastic sculpture La Bourgeoisie de Calais by Auguste Rodin was exhibited in Kelvin Grove Park in 1949. The sculpture in the open air exhibition ran from 25th of June to 30th of September 1949. La Bourgeoisie de Calais suffered damage while on display in this exhibition and, at present, is unlocated. The spokesperson said the storage of collections has improved and objects have been found that were previously considered lost. The spokesperson said, The process of recording, cataloguing and caring for the Glasgow Museum's collection has improved significantly since it was founded in the 1860s. For 30 years, the cataloguing of the collection has been increasingly centralised using the museum's collection management system. As part of the major museum capital projects in Glasgow over the last 20 years, the storage of the collection has also been improved. They went on, Glasgow Life Museums has spent more than two decades conducting an inventory of the items in the collection and, based on these processes, finding objects which had previously been recorded as unlocated. This process has enhanced security of the collections, preventing theft from storage in the last 20 years and reduced the number of objects recorded as unlocated, even temporarily. Where historic thefts have been conclusively identified, we have robust processes in place, including notifying the police and adding the items to the art loss register, which makes it difficult to secure sales at legitimate auctions. Stuart, the Scottish Conservatives Deputy Culture spokesperson, said, The extent of these losses absolutely beggars belief and is indeed a betrayal of our heritage. That the National Museums of Scotland have lost sight of so many crucial and, in the main, priceless and irreplaceable artefacts is beyond deeply concerning. And that report was by Sarah Hilly. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the news section, Bid to combine two Glasgow Southside flats to make one home. Report by Esther Tarnay. A plan to combine two Glasgow flats into one home was submitted. The two flats, owned by the same family, are located on Keir Street and Paul Shields and are on floors 1 and 2, directly below each other in the same tenement block. According to documents, the applicant proposes to build stairs in between the storeys, designed so that the properties could be split again in the future. Sam Miller, the applicant, also noted that the outside of the building would not be altered. If successful, the development would allow the first floor kitchen to be expanded and a home office to be created on the second floor. The bid read, We assume that the alteration and conversion of the two properties into one larger dwelling would not be viewed as a contentious proposal. Glasgow City Council planning officials are currently considering the application and a decision is expected to be made by Friday, December the 8th. The last day for comments is Monday, November the 9th. And that report was by Esther Tarnay. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the news section, 
exclusive. Glasgow City Council slammed for off-market disposal of green space. This article is an exclusive by Marissa McWurser. A beloved green space in the heart of an industrial area is set to be sold off by the council for development, prompting outrage from the community. Described as, as an oasis, the beloved patch of greenery at the corner of Fleming Street and Glen Park Street in Deniston is in the midst of being sold off-market by Glasgow City Council to read wire. A spokesperson for the council said, This parcel of land is designated for business or industrial use in the city plan and is within a well-used commercial area. The land has been overgrown for some time and, in 2017, it was agreed that the port could be sold off market to a neighbouring business wishing to expand its operation. The parcel of land appears well maintained and it's dotted with trees and shrubbery. Frequented by neighbor, nearby workers and dog walkers, the move has sparked fury among the community who say it has always been a green patch. Especially neighbouring businesses Green City Whole Foods and Vanley Transport who say they use the park daily. Leah Vance, the transport manager at trucking firm Vanley Transport, has worked next to the park for over two decades and claims the council maintains it regularly. She told the Glasgow Times, This is not derelict land, it's used by loads of people. I meet and get to know people with their dogs and, if I'm out with mine, that's generally how I connect with people. The 55-year-old added, We just want the area to be nice because we're working here for most of our days. Part of our life is here. I look out and there's loads of wildlife in there. There are rabbits, foxes and loads of birds like chaffinches. I know that might not mean a lot to to people, but I love nature. That's my wee oasis over there, especially in the summer. Tristan Wooler, a member of the food and drink wholesaler Green City Whole Foods, said that none of the neighbours were notified of the sale. The 43-year-old said, it wouldn't have taken the council much effort to contact adjacent occupiers. As a company, our consensus is that we want this to stay a green space. There is a lack of green space around here. Readwire, formerly dubbed Reed Roofing Limited, did not respond to the Glasgow Times' request for comment. A spokesperson for Glasgow City Council said they could not disclose the price attached to the sale at this stage. They added, this parcel of land is less than half an acre in size and has never been adopted as, as part land. The council is fully entitled to sell a property for which it is of no use and, in 2017, it was agreed that the plot could be sold off-market to the neighbouring businesses wishing to expand their operation. This proposed sale has been conducted in full accordance with our policy for off-market sales, which includes sales of land to a joint adjoining owners for expansion of existing businesses. The proposed sale will be subject to oversight and scrutiny by elected members. A number of legal issues required to be resolved with the sale, but a solution has now been found and the transaction is a position in a position of progress. A report on this matter recommending the agreed terms and conditions will be submitted in line with committee procedures. And that article was an exclusive by Marissa McWorthy. And that article was an exclusive by Marissa McWorthy. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, 
from the new section exclusive Glasgow Community Champions 2023 here's how to vote this article is an exclusive by Anne Fotheringham who will be crowned Glasgow's Community Champions for 2023 the public vote to determine the winners of the regional heats opens today so it is time to get behind your favourite the Glasgow Times Awards in association with Glasgow City Council Wheatley Glasgow Merkin Trades House of Glasgow celebrate everything that is great about the city and its people. Once again, our readers will determine who triumphs in the North East, North West and South Heats. Yesterday, we announced the finalists for the North East and South. Today we will reveal those fighting it out in the North West plus the citywide category of sport. The public vote is now open. Simply go to glasgotimes.co.uk slash community hyphen champions hyphen awards or search for www.glasgotimes.co.uk slash community hyphen champion hyphen awards. It is free to cast your vote and voting closes on October the 31st. The winners will go forward to a second judging session and overall winners will be announced at the grand final at the city chambers on December the 5th the finalists in the Northwest are as follows Team Award Men Matter Scotland, a mental health charity which continues to expand its services, now offering support in high schools and prisons. North United Communities Rock Hill Youth Team, who provide activities and vital support for young people in the area and drumming up change, an innovative scheme which brings together Drumchapel High students and children with learning disabilities from Fortune Works and a great range of projects. Individual Award Jill Mackay, who goes the extra mile for the people of Milton, Rookhill and Winford in her role at the helm of North United Communities. Joyce Bell, G15 Youth Project's We Gaffer, who makes sure some chapel's young people young people's voice are heard. And inspirational social entrepreneur Sylvia Douglas, who set up projects in Postal Park to help women into training and work. Public Service Award Street Pastors Glasgow, who helps citizens in need overnight in city streets. Kingsway Community Connections, who have provided outstanding support to people from all walks of life due to the cost of living crisis. Friends of Mary Hill Graveyard, a dedicated group hoping to save a historic part of Glasgow. And John Barclay, Glasgow Street Aid, who provides first aid in city streets supporting the NHS. Uniform Services Award ADRS Nursing Team, who support people with drug and alcohol issues. Scottish Ambulance Service Air Ambulance Team, which has been delivering life-saving services for 90 years. And PC Ben Oliver, who, despite being 18 and 3 weeks out of training, kept his composure to bravely save a woman's life. Senior Award Glasgow Orchestral Society President Anne Gibson Veterans Champion Terry McCourt and Wilma, Betty, Susan, Maggie and Jean the Rapping Grannies of Postal Park Young Award Leah McCafferty a young carer who also helps victims of bullying Hannah McGee Activist and Mentor at G15 Youth Project 
Hamilton Hills Clay Pitts volunteer Dexter Johnson Gray, and Jack and Callum, who's vo- who volunteer with North United Communities. Health and Wellbeing Award, Baby a Lost Retreat, who help parents recover from the loss of a child, and Vongai Mufara, trustee with AMA Birth Companions. School Award, Springburn Academy, High Park Primary, Scotson Primary. The Sport Award this year is a city-wide category. The finalists are St Philemon's Primary School Football Coaches, Double Act Mark and Liam, the 18 football coaches at St Philemon's Primary in Cathcart retired recently after 18 years supporting and inspiring young players. Disability Sports Camp, run by Active Schools Coordinator James Hemingsley, this initiative at Ross Hall and Shawlands Academies helps young people with disabilities enjoy sport. Joseph Woods, inspirational primary school teacher who runs multiple sports clubs encouraging children to get active. Team GB Foursome, Braveheart Martial Arts, Madison Brown, Kenzo Cambridge, Maya Bisley and Sophie Heron won 7 gold and 1 bronze at the Junior World Kickboxing Championships. Braveheart Martial Arts Club, a club that goes above and beyond to teach kids kickboxing, taekwondo, teamwork, self-defence and more. Glasgow Phoenix FC, new football club for women, helping players from different backgrounds play in a supportive and safe environment. Pinks and Water Sports, one of a kind club which provides children with the opportunity to take part in affordable water sports and learn life-saving skills. And that article was an exclusive by Anne Fotheringham. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the news section, Exclusive! Glasgow man seen with knife as police call to disturbance. Article on Exclusive by Esther Tarnay. A Glasgow man told police he was only cutting cheese after he was caught with a kitchen knife in his hands. Darren Tate, 26, from Govan, appeared at Glasgow Sheriff Court last week after he previously pled guilty to being in possession of the blade. He was apprehended after officers were called to a disturbance at a block of flats on Lewis Street in the south side on May 30th this year. Cops could hear a loud male voice coming from within the close of the building. As they arrived in the first floor flat, they noticed a large amount of glass on the landing, mainly outside a flat that belongs to a, to a friend of Tate. The charts fell after a picture frame in the front door of the flat had been destroyed earlier. When police climbed up to the second floor, a flat door swung open and Tate stumbled out. He was drunk and holding a large white kitchen knife. Officers instructed him to drop the knife, but he refused. He did not make any movements or communicate with the cops. Tate was taken to Govan Police Station, where he was cautioned and charged, which he replied, I was only cutting cheese. His lawyer said, He was incredibly intoxicated. He was incredibly drunk by his own admission. The incident was a wake-up call for him. He is currently on a community payback order, and that has recently been extended. He says he doesn't feel like his alcohol intake is an issue. Tate was placed on a community payback order for 12 months with the requirements of supervision 
and to engage with mental health and addiction services. He was also tagged for 100 days, requiring him to stay at home between 7pm and 7am. Sheriff Mark McGuire said to him in the courtroom, If you breach it, chances are you are going to prison. And that article was an exclusive by Esther Tarnay. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the news section, new supermarket set to be built on in Bishopton if plans given go ahead. Article by Jack Thompson. A new Sainsbury's supermarket is set to be built at Darngafel Village in Bishopton if plans are given the green light by Renfrewshire Council. The proposals have been unveiled as part of an application for planning permission on the company's behalf by agent Alder King Planning Consultants. If approved, the store will be located in an unoccupied site of Dalgetty Drive and serve as a main food shopping destination for residents in the area. The intention is that the current Sainsbury's local would close when the new supermarket opens, Alder King confirmed in documents submitted with the application, with staff transferring over. This would also allow for that unit to be taken on by another business, the agent said. Gary Morris, a partner at Alder King Planning Consultants, said in a cover letter, The proposed scheme involves the erection of a new food store of 1,145 square metre gross internal area that will serve as a main food shopping destination for the residents of Bishopton. It will provide a much enhanced range of goods compared to the existing Sainsbury's local convenience store, which will close when the new store opens. The new store will realise a long-term ambition to provide shops and services within Dargaville Village, helping to make the settlement a more sustainable location where residents can carry out more of their daily and weekly needs. In addition to the new food store, the proposals include a new access, parking, landscaping such published realm, servicing and associated works. The car park will provide for new electric vehicle charging points available to customers and residents. The total site area is 1.71 acres slash 0.69 hectares. The new car park will be accessible via Dugetty Drive and will provide access to the proposed health centre to the north which is subject to a separate planning application. There will be pedestrian access to the car park to the health centre, ensuring that all three elements of the village centre, store, health centre and existing retail parade are well connected to each other and that the centre functions in a coherent and integrated manner. The council will make a decision on the application at a later date. And that report was by Jack Thompson. Evening Times, October 18. Lifestyle. The ambitious scheme that solved Glasgow's health epidemic. Report by Michael Gallagher of the Glasgow City Archives. Before the advent of modern sewage disposal, Glasgow tried many approaches to deal with the putrid problem. As early as 1602, the city authorities took some limited steps to combat pollution in the Clyde. The river acted as the main sewer, which naturally created health and environmental issues for Glasgow and its residents. 
It was not until the rapid expansion of the city in the 19th century that the sewage question, as it became known, was considered more seriously. By this time, ill health was a problem for all Glaswegians, regardless of income or social status. In the 1830s, life expectancy for both men and women dropped below 40 years, exacerbated by the first cholera epidemic of 1832, various outbreaks of fever and poor housing conditions. The effective disposal of waste was recognised as a key part of repairing Glasgow's health, but before the city tried to address it, the task was attempted by an assortment of engineers, chemists and industrialists. One 1851 scheme proposed that the city's sewage be gathered in four underground tanks, pumped to an elevation of 240 feet, then routed 40 miles away to Ayrshire, where it would be spread across the sand to make them agriculturally productive. This was not approved by the Glasgow Corporation. In 1858, two eminent professors were tasked with finding a way to deodorise Glasgow's sewage before it flowed into the Clyde, so that its fertilising ingredients could be preserved for agricultural purposes, but the output would be less foul-smelling. Their detailed report concluded this was impossible. The issue engaged the minds of Glasgow's philosophers, as well as its scientists. The Glasgow Philosophical Society created a distinct sanitary section, which discussed the best ways to deal with the problem, and its meetings hosted lively debates among advocates of different methods. Much debate centred on the use of a recent invention, the water closet. At one society meeting in 1869, a chemist named Edward Stanford argued strongly that the indoor WC would never catch on, since it carried an attendant train of evils, which, I am fully persuaded, will ultimately doom it to oblivion. An alternative was proposed by Mr John Murchie, who suggested that it be replaced by an indoor dry ash closet. A movable airtight box would be attached to the bottom of this closet, into which would drop excreta and riddled ashes. The corporation would then empty these boxes every night, providing a complete plant of railway manure trucks and lorries with iron boxes to convey the sewage away to the country. Thankfully, what we now know as the conventional indoor toilet prevailed. Sewage disposal in Glasgow was a complex problem, not least because any solution would affect the surrounding areas, and a royal commission was required to explore it. Having surveyed almost 1,500 square miles around the Clyde, the Commission published its report in 1876. This complex and costly scheme 
recommended that the waste be transported into the sea by tunnel and came before Parliament, before a change in government caused it to be dropped. A series of acts in the 1890s gave the corporation the power to deal with and disperse of the sewage of the city and many of the outlying areas and Glasgow established one of the largest schemes for the treatment and disposal of sewage in the world. Central to this was an ambitious programme of treatment works and pumping stations opened between 1894 and 1910. Dalmarnock was first in May 1894, where sewage was treated and converted to fertiliser, which was sold off. Dalmuir followed in 1904, which followed the same process and disposed of the remainder by loading it onto the steamer TSS Dalmuir and transporting the sludge 40 miles out to sea. Pumping stations were opened at Partick and Kinning Park to help discharge the sewage and the programme was completed in 1910 with the opening of Shieldhall Sewage Works. By the eve of the First World War, the system dealt with nearly 100 million gallons of sewage a day. While modern technology has since improved Glasgow's sewage treatment and disposal enormously, the scheme developed in the Victorian era served the city well and laid the foundations for today's system reports Michael Gallagher of the Glasgow City Archives. Evening Times, October 18. Lifestyle. Iconic Glasgow pub goes on the market. Report by Nicole Mitchell. An iconic Glasgow pub is up for sale. The Lauriston Bar which has been owned by the Clancy family for more than 40 years, has been brought to the market by specialist business property advisor Christian Company. The category C listed Bridge Street Bar has maintained a traditional theme throughout, remaining virtually unchanged since the 1960s and features panelled walls and ceilings and memorabilia and drawings from local artists. It hosts regular events such as live music and comedy and club nights and has been used for filming movies such as Young Adam and Wild Rose. Filming also took place at the venue last year for gritty thriller Deadshot, which is set in 1970s London and follows the story of a retired IRA paramilitary who seeks vengeance for his wife after she was shot dead by a British soldier. The pub is located within one of the city's most popular pub crawl circuits and benefits from local and tourist trade year-round. It also generates trade from the additional footfall at the nearby O2 Academy and will soon benefit from the regeneration project at Central Quay, which will bring 350 new apartments to the area. Jerry Clancy, the current owner, said, In any family business, family is the priority.
After 40 years serving the Lauriston Barr family, we would now like to devote more time to serving the Clancy family. It goes without saying it will be business as usual until the right buyer is found. Tony Spence, Associate Director at Christie & Company added, This is a rare opportunity to acquire a long-standing successful pub in central Glasgow. The business is well placed to succeed going forward and would suit both an owner-operator or could be added to an existing portfolio. Report by Nicole Mitchell That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Tune Review and to tell your friends about our service. 